This is Amalia Eon Karras. This is Satya. And you're listening to, to Love, Love, Sex, Sex and, and the, the Hidden, Hidden Agenda. Agenda. Our podcast was created with the sole intention to release toxic shame, illuminate our shadow nature, and expose the mysterious entities that feed off our most precious life force, our sexual energy. To learn more about our life-enhancing courses and transformational retreats, visit knowtheself.com. Let's dive in. Hey, Amalia. Hey, Satya. Can you see me? I'm kind of dark in here. Yeah. <laughs> like half light, half dark. So I have this video that I want you to watch. Do you, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? I'm not. Okay. So he's one of my um, favorites for a couple of reasons. For one thing, he's a psychologist, but... Uh, I like how he boils down truth and kind of uh, uh, slows down the thinking process so that people actually think. Uh, but so, but this isn't really going to be a full, this is just a one minute uh, clip I wanted you to see because I've been thinking about, well, I have some questions actually that I wanted to ask you from it. And I have like a whole kind of conversation I wanted to have. Should we just, I'm just going to start playing it now for yeah cool i want to see it people to hear here we go okay go ahead. you know the addiction literature this is particularly true with alcoholism but it's not unique to alcoholism it's been known among hard-headed addiction researchers for like 60 years that one of the most reliable cures for alcoholism and there aren't any others by the way regardless of what treatment center people say is spiritual transformation and in at its base that is that's a reflection of something like the hero's journey. Absolutely. So that's a hard-headed reality. And you know, you see that happening pharmacologically to some degree now with, uh, what's his name, uh, the people who are doing the research with psilocybin showing, you know, dramatic effects on cigarette smoking, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, psilocybin produces this mystical experience and that has this curative. Now that's all that needs to be unpacked. It's like, it's not just some chemical thing happening. It's very, very complicated, way more complicated than we could possibly understand. But yeah, so if you're just the victim, well, you're certainly not the hero. And well, maybe being the hero is actually your way out of the addiction. Because look at it this way, man, you need something better to do than to be addicted. And that's not an easy thing to find because those damn drugs hijacked your, your pleasure systems. Cocaine, amphetamines, heroin, they're real killer drugs. They hijack that. And so to get out of that, you need something better. Well, yeah, good luck. Yeah, there's so much in that little one minute um, that was I was uh, thinking about. Uh, so, you know, one thing I think is just to point out that, you know, because for many years I was a drug and alcohol counselor and I worked in a, a psychiatric hospital on a drug and alcohol unit and, you know, with a master's degree in psychology and other things. So I did that for a long time. and. Uh, there's movements now here in the Bay Area for uh, retreats that people can go on. And I actually did have a friend who was uh, an alcoholic and went to one of these retreats and used some kind of, I think it was that, which is another way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so 
changed her life, started teaching yoga and, you know, never touched a drink of alcohol again. <laughs> so, you know, and then of course the 12 step process, which is based on a spiritual um, guidance system. And then I know uh, your history and all that you've changed and you are kind of, you have kind of walked that talk and and walked that path and the retreats that we do we don't allow any kind of substances in them and so i'm thinking of all of these you know different i, I mean i guess the angst behind uh behind what i'm feeling is just that i i want there to be some answer to this it just seems like it, it's been going on so long and it's so widespread and it's so okay you know especially drinking alcohol and i know that i've gone through periods where i drink i feel like i'm drinking too much and you know and i act in ways that maybe i don't want to act and uh so i don't really drink much anymore but had you know if i didn't have my spiritual self you know or i didn't have that other work so there's yeah there's a lot going on with this and i feel like right now a lot of people are struggling with these things and with with you know we've discussed before that we've sort of as a culture lost our religion and religion itself may have not been the answer uh maybe new age isn't the answer but there's something that we that that i'm wanting to and one of my missions i feel in life is to bring those things together and and have this other way of of walking where yeah we can you know we do need other things to do besides addiction or besides escaping through that oh. or looking for connection with another person which mm -hmm. i know for me when when i would uh drink or drink with my partner or something i'm looking for like oh let's go on this like, magical little adventure together you know and but but also we can do that without without any kind of substances yeah like so. you're you're talking about a lot of different things so I just want to unpack it a little bit because I think addiction is complicated. You know, people get addicted for a number of reasons. I think now also during COVID and this whole lockdown, more and more people are trying to, you know, numb out, escape. And so they reach for some sort of intoxicant, right? Be it even just food addictions or substances. You're, you were kind of like pointing to, you know, religion and spirituality and new age and addiction. And I know he's bringing this up about, you know, the only way out of addiction is through a spiritual awakening. And I have to agree with him on that. And I, I would differentiate that the spiritual awakening isn't necessarily through uh, religion or any kind of, I, I don't know if Relig I, I do see some people go through AA and they get very religious and that helps them out of it. I've seen mm -hmm. that happen. But I also see that when people find their God through the doing the 12 steps and they start, they, they're having a spiritual awakening, but they don't have any naming for it. So they kind of reach for what's been presented to them, which, you know, could be religious. But yeah, uh, what, what whatever their your... upbringing was, or wherever they live, yeah. whatever the religion and the town they live in, or yeah, the context that they are, yeah, the framework of their their mental uh, construct. But what were some of your questions 
for me or like what were you well think one of the things that I was thinking is you know if this um if the the magic mushrooms you know I guess is what he's referring to that you know and we all know there's a lot of studies going on now uh, not just with magic mushrooms but microdosing other things uh, psychedelics and so forth that have helped people if they if they're in a certain containership but I also think that that has been misused and you know isn't the answer either and I know that you have a lot of experience um, with these things and you've made a you know a definitive decision to not have any have you know we don't have anything to do with any of that in in the retreats that we do together so I'm wondering you know how you came to that conclusion yeah some people think like I'm just because I'm sober that like, you know, I either don't have a past or I have like some big, I don't know, negative imprint of it. And I don't, but what I can say is, yes, I do have a history of a lot of uh, substance use and have had my own addictions uh, many, many years ago, like it's over 20 years ago now. And I, I see that, you know, I, I started taking substances. It started with marijuana and then it was just like, you know, trying one thing after the next. And for me, that was looking to expand my consciousness. I was looking for answers. And when I took psychedelics, I was really big into acid, you know, MDMA, of course, magic mushrooms, which is the psilocybin he mentions, um, ayahuasca, and anything, I mean, pretty much anything and everything I've tried it, um, just to understand like what it does to me, how it changes my consciousness. It was like, I was studying it. And I find that those substances really do open up, you know, they open the pineal gland, they give you access to the other dimensions. But what I also noticed is that, you know, people get addicted to them and they, they use them to, kind of have something to do like they're bored and they just need to party and so now it's really popular here where I live everybody comes here to do ayahuasca and they're doing you know combo and peyote and like everything there and I get it like I think that's sometimes that's the path in to understand who we are as humans that we're so much more than our human body and it, it does open those doors I just think that it's not where the answer resides. I think it's just opening the muscles so you can use those muscles without the substances. And when you know, when you learn how to use those muscles, our psychic spiritual muscles without substances from a clean and sober, um, balanced state of mind, that's when you access direct truth and direct knowing. And in my experience, um, I have taken substances even, you know, since 20 years ago, I, I've taken them on occasion to kind of test out and see like, oh, well, now that I've awakened to all this um, spiritual knowing and spiritual abilities, like what would happen now if I took it, you know, <laughs> and, and I have like, even during COVID, I, I did an ayahuasca session once and it didn't really affect me much. It was really interesting watching the room. And I could see that many people were um, getting attached to the spirit realm 
that's not source. So, so I think there's a lot of confusion. There's a, a lot of misguidedness. There's a lot of shamans now running these circles, even in the container ship. That's not clear. That's not ethical in my from my perspective. So I do have warnings about that. Like, but many of my students who work with me and they take the oath, okay, I'm not going to do that. You know, they finish the school and then they want to go try something and they're doing plant medicine and they tell me their experiences. And I, I feel better about that when they've already learned like how to be sovereign, how to hold the body in their energetic container and then do ceremony like that, they're going to be able to see more clearly. But for someone who is kind of new to all of this and, and they step through those gateways, it can be very, it can be very confusing. Sorry, there's a lot of uh, noise here. One second. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I have a friend too that recently did an ayahuasca journey in uh, Mexico. Uh, she hasn't done it before and she also hasn't done, I don't think any spiritual journeys or meditation or, you know, those kinds of things, but she came back and she was talking about grandmother ayahuasca and, you know, I haven't done it, so I don't know a lot of, but just what, in what she was talking about, I found myself, uh, you know, enjoying, you know, her sharing, but also uh, I think kind of coming from a place of actually kind of what you said, which was, uh, you know, have the experience of navigating realms with my, I guess, my own groundedness of, you know, guidance system, like how could I trust, how would I know what to, what to trust? if I was, you know, to, to use something like that, or if somebody told me, okay, you're going to go on this journey and you're going to see like grandmother ayahuasca or something, you know, and I, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like, and then on the other hand, I thought, wow, she really didn't have to go all that far to, you know, she really didn't have to go to those lengths to, to experience all that. Cause we can just do that right now in our own room, whenever we, we want to, you know, if we, we have, well, you, you know how to do that. So a lot of people don't. And that's why, you know, I started the mystery school and wanted to help people and why I do the activations the way I do them is to give people that direct access, that direct knowing you don't need to take substances. But for a lot of people, that is the way that they have that spiritual experience, because if the mind is too, too strong, like, especially for people that are really mental, um, and yeah. they just can't get their mind to shut up and relax uh, if they don't know how to dream or find deep meditative states. Then, of course, you know, a psychedelic is kind of a straight, direct rocket ship. But the, but the problem is that people just get addicted to the high. They get addicted to the... And, people do it in meditation too. They get addicted to those experiences, those spiritual high experiences where, you know, as you know, there's many times um, where you can meditate and you're, you're having like a past life experience or you have a lot of visuals or you're having like a Satori kind of enlightened moment where you just feel so blissed out. And other meditations are just very humdrum, boring, uh, when is something going to happen? You know, I'm just focusing on my breath, you know, like back to the, yeah. to the very basics. And so I, even a lot of spiritual seekers or meditators, they, 
they're trying to chase a high too. And then true. I remember feeling that for a while. Like, yeah, it's, it's addictive. <laughs> All I it's wanted addictive. to do was meditate because I would get so high. Yes. And that's why I stopped the school because everybody was getting so addicted, especially in the group meditations. Like your we fault get so your activations are too good. <laughs> I mean, many people have told me like in my my group meditations and the unwind experiences, they always say, oh my God, the only time I've ever felt this is when I've been on, you know, ayahuasca or some kind of psychedelic trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so great because I'm not puking and I'm sober and the, the visions and the experience is so much more real because you don't have that kind of hangover feeling or you don't you don't feel that you've induced it with some sort of drug. And so you can kind of own the experience more. That's, that's how I've. Uh, that's a very good point. Yeah. I love that. Cause that is definitely the way it feels because you're, you're fully sober and embodied when you're having the experience. You can't, you can't excuse it. Like you could with a drug, you could say, yeah, because oh, with I, the drugs, you're going to tell yourself state or it's like, yeah. Yeah. Or, Yes. And then depending on who's leading the, if, if you're doing it in a group, there's so many factors involved and it gets really complicated, like where you're doing it. it. It could be the energy of the land. So whether you're in the forest or you're in some ancient ceremonial grounds, you can have a lot of interference with what's going on in that landscape. You can have interference with the people in the group and the wills of the group and who's maybe overpowering who so for me because of what i know and what i've seen it has to be a really safe contained space and i want everybody to be like honoring their own space and know how to manage their own energy so it doesn't turn into this kind of like either psychic war zone or manipulative thing or i in fact in many ayahuasca circles i see like men kind of like uh spirit psychically raping other women in the the field and it was so weird and I've had women ask me afterwards like am I imagining this like that guy across the room was in my entire my entire trip he was there like stalking me and then he was like trying to have sex with me but they never touched they never moved like he's puking over in that corner and she's puking over that corner you know I mean and, and ironically, like I had seen it, you know, I could see that he's constantly like he, this man, this older man was really consumed with this younger woman's experience. And, and I had to put a blindfold on just to like tune them out so I could have my own experience. But oh, no. I found that, um, you know, when you do it with a group, you just don't know what's going on. You know, you really don't know. So for me and all my experiences and the reason why I stopped doing psychedelics and, uh, you know, I would say for me now, maybe I would do it on some sort of occasion that feels like I did it during COVID, like I said, mainly because there was just so much going on. And I was wondering, like, I need to like tap in. It was right in the beginning of COVID when everyone was on lockdown and I just really needed to be with other people. I was invited and I said, ah, why not? Let's, you know, let's see what's there. And uh, maybe I need to purge and clear something. And, you know, it's always nice to be in a, those kind of environments 
create community, but I also see that there's a bit of a, a point missing. And for me, I think the point is what that guy in the video, uh, sorry, I forgot his name. Jordan Peterson. Jordan, Jordan Peterson, what he was mentioning is like, the point is to find your life purpose, to, to unlock your spiritual mission and to understand what you're here for. And then it makes sense then you're di directed and guided into what to do next. Um, right. And I think when, when we don't have that, we reach for things to fill the empty void, to fill the spaces. And that's where addictions come in. That's where even spiritual seeking becomes an addiction um, or healing also can become an addiction. I see a lot of people that are just addicted to their healing. They're addicted to being the victim. They're addicted to fixing themselves instead of just getting out there and serving and being a part of society in some way and contributing. They think that they have to fix themselves to be perfect, whether it's to be in a relationship or to open their business or to do what they came here to do. They feel like they have to, you know, fix all these things about themselves. And it's just not true. Like we have to get over the victim mindset in order to claim our spiritual inheritance. And I think addictions keep us stuck in yeah. victimhood. And, and there's something, you know, in psychology, we used to call it being a dry drunk, or you know, even if you're not using substances, but if, if the, if you have the personality of like the martyr victim, that can keep you in some kind of addictive cycle so easily, whether it's food or alcohol or, um, and that's exactly what he alludes to in the video is, you know, are you going to be a victim? Are you going to be a hero? And it's about being your own hero for your own self, your own life, you know, and just doing something, you know, just 1% better each day. Can I just be 1% better today? Just 1%. Can I just, you know, get in the game? Can I take some responsibility? Uh, can I be, you know, uncomfortable and can I stay in that space of, um, of discomfort because it can lead to so many rewards and, and benefits. And, and I, I, you know, recently had a situation with a family member where um, there was, you know, very similar thing. There was some alcohol, um, bad, just whole personality change in this person. And, and then, you know, outside of that, though, the the general feeling, you know, in her life is, is like, I'm, you know, uh, it's not about me, or it, she, it's like, this, I want it to be all about me, but it's not all about me, and, and complaining about everyone else, and, and not looking at the stuff, just this, this thing, like, I'm, I'm not having, you know, a, and like, I, I don't know if it's entitlement or whatever, but anyway, that whole, the, the martyr thing, the whole, so that's so pervasive. And I feel like that needs to be kind of pulled out by the, and, but the muscle that you're talking about, it's, it's true. There, there's a muscle that we use to, to experience, have those experiences and, we can't I, practice those and it, and we don't have to use, you know, and I mean, I, I decided, you know, I'm not drinking and I, um, I feel set free from like a demon. I swear. I feel, <laughs> I feel set free from like a, 
Well, there are actually, like, I want to talk about that. The cushions would be like devil, you know, like is, yeah. And, and isn't it true in ayahuasca? Sorry, I didn't interrupt, but isn't it true in ayahuasca that when you're vomiting, they believe that you're actually vomiting out like something like evil or something. And there's been times when I've vomited from alcohol and I have felt like that's happening. And then after that, I feel like whatever experience happened needed to like purge out and so it's almost like I felt like it was like a good thing in some weird way like whatever um whatever I said or whatever came out was stuff that I had been squishing and came out but really I really don't think it probably should have come out that way and I don't think that's a good idea but well but I, it did. Felt that I mean it's uh, yeah regrets are kind of a waste of time in my experience but I think what I do want to say about alcohol from my experience and I've never liked alcohol um, because my sister was an alcoholic and became an alcoholic at a very young age. And so I, my first um, interaction with demons happened through her. She started drinking alcohol at the age of 14. So I was like 11. Yeah, I was like 10 or 11 when I first saw my first drunk through my sister. And she would, her eyes would change, um, her voice would change. She would become demonic and possessed every time. She would never remember. Uh, we found out later she had an alcohol, uh, al al allergic reaction to alcohol. She's allergic to it, but she was an alcoholic. So oh. we, we ended up having to take her to the hospital one time when I think I was about 12 we had to take her to the ER, my brother and I, he's 10 years older. Our parents were out of town and she, we had to pump her stomach and she almost died. And that's when we found out she's allergic. But what I learned over the many, many years that she still, you know, battles with this addiction in and out of rehabs, uh, always on the verge, suicidal, is that when, when she drinks, I could tell because her eyes would change. There's another entity in her eyes. And it scared me as a child because it wasn't her. Like, I was like, what is this? What's going on? I had no idea she drank, you know, and it, it was happening again and again. And as I grew up, I always saw that. And I see, um, you know, in bars and places where people drink, you know, we've spoken about it before on this podcast, like the, the entity that kind of siphons off people and sits above places like you saw it at a church, I think. I see those shadow beings in bars and stuff. And kind of like succulents coming behind and feeding off the energy. And I think, you know, the alcohol spirits are so strong, so devious, so manipulative. It's very hard. You know, people, I know a few people who can casually drink and it's not really a problem. Maybe they have one or two beers or a few glasses of wine throughout the week, very casually. It never, you know, increases from there. And those there's a few people who can do that where I can see that they don't have any invitation to these forces, but most people who have that third, fourth, fifth drink, I watch it always descend. And I've lost a lot of friends over the years because I can't personally be around it because what happens is it, it always tries to attack me because I see it. Um, and it's, it's how I learned my shamanic gifts and how to do the possessions and all these things was through 
my sister's alcoholism and mm-hmm. kind of through happenstance or through survival, let's call, because she was always trying to kill me. Like literally my sister would get drunk and then this demon would hold knives to my neck. And I mean, it happened more than a hundred times. Like it was just a regular daily thing for me that the demon's trying to kill me. Um, I would wake up many times with a knife in my neck and those eyes and that voice. And my sister had no recollection of it. She would, you know, be the next day I would ask her like, why are you trying to kill me? Uh, you know, so, oh and God. she was like, what How are you old talking were you when about? This was going on? It started at 10 and it happened pretty okay. much at least once a week until 30. <laughs> uh, no, in my 20s, I didn't live with her. She Well, she was removed from the house when I was 14. So from 10 to 14, it happened like every week. So I don't know how many weeks are in those years, but it was just a regular, regular occurrence. I was so used to it. I just knew to like lay to breathe steadily, to act really calm, but she trained me. Like I know how to manage these forces from that experience. Cause I knew if I, if I react too strong, you know, the knife's there. And so I just learned, I knew she wouldn't kill me. So I would find her in the eyes, like look for her soul, uh-huh. search for it. And then I would try and say words that would bring her back. And then she, I knew that she didn't want me dead, but that this entity did. And whenever I could reach her, you know, she wouldn't hurt me. And she never punctured my neck. It was just always, you know, sometimes it would go further in and I would have to hold my breath or, you know, but it was always there. It was just a a regular thing. My mom put locks on my doors. Like it just always, she always found a way in. And the last, so from when I was 14 years old, she moved away or she was removed from our house because she was so troubled, put in like a a rehabilitation center for teens. And then when I was around 30, like, yeah, at my dad's funeral, she did it again. She started drinking and yeah, she pulled the knife, woke up again with her and it was like really I even all these years later and she doesn't if you talk to her when she's sober she doesn't have any clear thought about she remembers it a bit and she's like oh yeah I did some stupid things but she doesn't understand that this was a a regular thing because she's it's not her and I I see without I think alcohol is probably one of the most like dangerous substances of course, you know, maybe cocaine is, is up there. Heroin is up there, but in terms of recreational substances, you know, yeah, I psychedelics and pot are much more neutral and they're not neutral, but they're not as, um, as dangerous as alcohol. I think dangerous is alcohol is very dangerous. And in in terms of entity attachments and what I do see now in the popularization of the plant medicine and the shaman circles and all of this is that there's a lot of hijacking entity hijacking of the devas of those plants. And I know this sounds kind of crazy, but I've seen it where the, the entity of ayahuasca the grandmother which you know was a very you know pure entity or aligned with light I have seen it not necessarily so 
let's say, <laughs> um, where I've questioned its intention and where, and, and I can see that some, some entities of these substances, like it definitely happened with LSD and that's all very chemical, you know, designed in labs, but the LSD molecule, molecule changed. Like in the beginning, it was just this very pure substance really opening a certain pathway. And then suddenly uh, it was a different, there, I don't know if they changed the chemical compound or what was going on, but it became like, it was, um, to me, it was like connecting to artificial intelligence. It was no longer a pure connection. So I don't know if that was my abilities um, opening to other realms and seeing things that I hadn't previously seen, or if there was sort of some sort of like entity takeover. But I think we need to be very careful, you know, by having clear intentions, understanding you know, why we're doing it and ceremonialize it for yourself, even if it is that glass of wine or something that you want to do to take the edge off, you know, ask, you know, why do you need the substance? Even if it's a medication, you know, really honor it because anytime we change our brain chemistry, we open, you know, gateways and, and portals and we shift our consciousness. So when we do know what our purpose is or we feel like we're on that spiritual um kind of mission to to be the best human we can be or to fulfill our potential i think that maybe we make different choices or maybe we kind of see through a different lens and it helps us um to have better experiences but that's just my my opinion <laughs> my long-winded <laughs> opinion <laughs> that was a lot <laughs> yeah you know we have to keep these episodes kind of wow well. <laughs> we could dissect those. squeeze it all in <laughs> <laughs> we could dissect that into a, into a couple of episodes right there just yeah that that's fascinating and i well, have I, fun this holiday season <laughs> be careful right like be responsible <laughs> yeah I mean yeah I, I I was just imagining for a minute when you were when you were talking about a world without alcohol or substances and I was just kind of whoa I went into this whole other dimension and I was just thinking how you know how people would be how different we'd they would be so be much more creative we'd probably be yeah. singing and dancing more because i sing and dance like that's how because we would be I entertain after, myself right we would be yeah. after that feeling that's not going to go away that desire for that or and we would be after connection and adventure and all the things that you know and escape and so we'd have to find it in a sober way we would still find it um you know or if we want to you know meet somebody new and talk to them or deal with a social situation that we don't want to be in i mean we would have to find that way that path with within ourselves and I just think that people would be more alive and feel a lot better about themselves. <laughs> I know. I think we'd be more artist artists, like poets, and probably um, like instead of getting together and just you know drinking, we'd probably be doing. Yeah, we'd probably be having building some something, creative or creating games, something, or, be, or festive. Yeah, yeah, like or we do some dance, or we would theater. do because now it's, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, celebrating with like one drink or something, but even that, you know, it's just, 
it, if we wanted to celebrate, think of all the things we'd be doing to celebrate if we didn't have alcohol, that would be just so much more amazing. I, I, I want to live in a world without alcohol personally. I yeah. really love sober parties. I find them so much more enriching. I mean, of course there, there can be a point where you feel a little like, oh, let's spice things up. But that kind of attachment to the drama or I don't know, I, I think there that is we that. have deeper conversations. Yeah. People are just uncomfortable having deep conversations unless they feel more relaxed. And I, that makes me sad, but you know me, I, I'm always the one asking the, the thing no one wants to talk about, like, hey, so. <laughs> I know, me too, you know, so it's, yeah, I mean, people would, probably, people would probably be dancing, they'd probably be, like, meditating together, they'd probably be doing a bunch of, like, intimacy, you know, like, tantric, like, I don't know, you know, it just, rather than looking for this other vehicle, oh my gosh, and not to backtrack a little bit, just, I was just reading a, a statistic the other day that um, 50% of murders are involving alcohol, of course, 50%. And 50% of people who are murdered are also under the influence of alcohol. So the things that wow. alcohol yeah, does, I didn't know that. and that it's so widely accepted and that it's so, it's just literally, I've even watched it in the last two decades become so... It's in everything now, everything. Even I even went to see James Bond, uh, the new Bond flick, because I'm a full-blown Bond fan, right? And um, and yeah, I grew up on Bond and my daughter's name is Bond in her first name, like the whole thing. And my significant other looks exactly like Daniel Craig. <laughs> so I now call him 007. And seven's my number, I was born on the seventh. But anyway, so, this, so my point is, even in James Bond, now he always had a martini shaken, not stirred, right? But in this one, he was just downing drinks, like, and I've never seen him do that. I've never seen any Bond do that, and it was it was noticeable, you know. And um, and even my beloved said the same thing. Like, gosh, he's drinking a lot in this one. And and I think even in the middle of some big action scene, like he pours a thing of whiskey and he pours a thing of whiskey for uh the girl that he was fighting with and he's like here cheers you know and just and, and like I, anyone who's who's working that hard and has to be that physically fit can drink that much can even have one drink come on like come on yeah. I mean it's, it's such programming and yeah, yeah. I, I'm really happy you told me those statistics because well it makes me a little bit angry I'm happy because it's like proof that alcohol is so dangerous but second it's like why is that not outlawed like why do we have to wear masks and get vaccines and like deal with all this virus issue when to me the amount of people that alcohol has killed is so insane it has ruined so many people's lives mm -hmm. and yet nobody's trying to ban it you know it, it's it's totally normal like you just have to turn 21 and you can have it and it, people can drink as much as they want and get themselves totally stupid and then go kill someone and nobody blames the alcohol yeah, yeah it's definitely. just like oh you know it's that person well yeah but we they just digested a bunch of spirits you know and we've just given a heyday to it and 
I don't know. Yeah. If there's anything that, if there's anything that is causing 50% of murders or involved in 50% of murders, shouldn't that be kind of a pretty obvious, uh, can you look at it? Yeah. So everyone listening, I hope you just make some good choices with your alcohol intake. I'm not saying abstain, but of course, you know, that is the easiest way to deal with it. But notice, track it, monitor, monitor yourself, monitor your family. Like, I mean, how many of us have that like drunk uncle that or aunt that makes the whole family party so awkward and uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. You know, and I just, I don't know, I feel for people who need the alcohol so bad to feel, to, to exercise their voice, but I don't think it is really their voice so um maybe we can find other ways to yeah. to say if you what notice say. if you notice when you take one drink and if you if you notice that opiate type of feeling or that high is suddenly then you're at risk so uh, yeah yeah okay that's a wrap good stuff good stuff Mwah. good to see you you too thank <laughs> Bye. To learn more about our life-enhancing courses and transformational retreats, visit knowtheself.com.